0: Turn in your uh, Bible to Romans chapter 4, verse 25, and as you're turning there, today is a super, super exciting day because in a few minutes, uh, we're going to be sharing water baptism together. We have some folks, I think maybe, maybe 8 or 10 throughout the morning, that are going to be baptized in water today. And so those of you who are going to be baptized, um, I'll let you know in a few minutes when you can go ahead and begin to change um, and if you came today and you want to be baptized in water, but um, you, you weren't prepared to do that or you didn't plan to do that, we have everything you need backstage to do that if you decide today's open baptism. If you say, you know what, I, I want to, I've recommitted or I've committed my life, I've recently become a Christian, or maybe even you say, um, I, I've, I've been a Christian for some time, but I've never been baptized in water. I've never taken that step, and if you'd like to do that today... Uh, I'll let you know in a few minutes when you can go and begin to change and prepare for that. So, um, this is going to be a really, really exciting moment that I've been looking forward to for several months now. It's a neat moment in the life of the church. Uh, Also, as you're turning to Romans 4, let me give you uh, one other update that there's no way to communicate other than just to explain. Um, A week from tomorrow, or actually a week from tonight, uh, our church is hosting something called... Uh, District Council. Let me tell you what District Council is. Our church is a uh, part of the Assemblies of God fellowship, and uh, most of the states in America have state uh, networks. And so, in Alabama, Alabama is our state network. Uh, we're a part of the Assemblies of God in Alabama. There's 360 churches in our network in the state, uh, and just so happens that this year is the 100th year celebration of that network in alabama so uh, the reason i want to explain that to you is because uh... our church the three hundred sixty churches uh... they selected our church to host that event and so one week from tonight there will be eight hundred uh... pastors and leaders from churches from those three hundred sixty churches all over the state as well as other people that will be on our campus uh... here celebrating so one of the things i i just wanted you to know is that it's a really cool thing that we got chosen for that. Um, That tells you a lot about the reputation of your church. That tells you a lot about what people in our state think about your church. So I think that's a a huge privilege, a huge honor, uh, that we're going to be able to serve and to welcome and to refresh and renew and invest in those uh, 800 pastors and other people that will be here. So the leader of the Assemblies of God in the nation uh, will be here, George Wood, and uh, uh, Choco de Jesus, who pastors the largest church in Chicago, will be here. And uh, some other folks will be here. So it's a, it's a big, gigantic event, as you might imagine. So would you just give uh, Kingwood Church a great big hand? I think it's a great big deal that we do this and, uh, and have this here. Really cool. So here's what I want you to know. It does cause some schedule disruption for us that I want you to know about that there's no way I could tell you other than just explaining, explaining this. Um, a week from tonight is when we have SOAK. Now, we started SOAK Services about three years ago, and we have never canceled one for any reason, nor would I. Except, <laughs> you get a 100th year event, you know, like once every 100 years. And so, uh, usually with these events, you don't have a Sunday night Part, it starts on Monday. But because it's a special event, a special occasion, our, our state leader asked, could we do something on that Sunday night? And I, I, I deliberated for a long time. And I thought, well, you know, okay. I, soak is precious to me. Uh, it, it's the lifeblood of what we do. And so I want you to know a week from tonight, we will not have Soak. Uh, but I, I can hardly think of any other reason we wouldn't do that. So uh, in April, there will not be a Soak service. And then that Wednesday following, uh, there won't be deeper life. There will not be a Hispanic worship service here in the sanctuary. uh, But there will be uh, youth and kids services going on on that Wednesday a week from Wednesday, if if you can remember that, and that all makes sense. So uh, that's the schedule change. That's the purpose. Uh, Here's one other thing for you to know. The information for what I'm about to say to you is in your bulletin. You can also go to KingwoodChurch.com. One of the banners that's scrolling says District Council. Uh, we need help welcoming and serving you know, these 800 pastors and their families and their, uh, the folks, the leaders from their church. So if you can help us throughout District Council uh, at any one of the services or the night services, uh, also in hospitality. So on our website, if you hit the District Council link, Uh, It will open you to a list of ways that you can serve and the time, you know, from 3 to 6 or whatever. If you're greeting, maybe for 45 minutes or an hour. But if you can help us uh, serve and welcome these pastors and host this event, uh, we'd love to have you serve this week or a week from Sunday. So it's Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. If you uh, can help in food preparation, you don't have to be a cook, you don't have to be a chef, you don't have to have ever competed for anything on Food Network. Y- you just have to like to help, that's all. And if you like to help, uh, we'll be preparing several meals that week, so you can help in hospitality. Also, if you can help in greeting, that's the two areas we need uh, help serving. So you can sign up online or you can sign up in the foyer uh, at the Welcome Center, there's a place to sign up there. All right, so having said all that, We've been talking about in this series, I Shouldn't Be Alive, that we started last week, things that should not be, but they are. So for example, there, uh, you see a balloon fly. Well, balloons don't fly. Balloons shouldn't be able to fly, but if you put helium in one, it will. And the first time you've ever seen that, you go, there's something at work, there's a force at work I don't understand here. If you see metal stick together, you say metal doesn't stick together, it doesn't have any sticky properties, it's not glue, it's not tape. But if you understand how a magnet works, then you say that shouldn't happen but there's a force at work there that I don't understand. In the same way, dead people don't come back from the dead and live again. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus did. He died he was tortured, he was beaten, he was crucified, he died, and he, and he came back from the dead. And so this series, in a sense, is about things that should not be, but they are. How many of you in your faith, you're one of those people that you should not be, but you are? How many, how many of you just lift your hand? You shouldn't be, but you are. Here you are, right? You have no reason. You have no right. You have no background. You have no history, but boy, here you are. Lift your hand up one more time. You shouldn't be, but you are. Look at that. See, that, that's, what, that's what resurrection means. So, uh, this morning as we talk about this, I don't know why we tend to talk about resurrection one day a year. So, as I was preparing for Easter and the Easter season, I said, let's talk about resurrection longer because there's a lot more to it than just we can cover or think about in one day. After Jesus' resurrection, I don't know if you know this or not, every one of His disciples' sermons focused was focused and centered on Jesus' resurrection. If you read the book of Acts, every explanation and every teaching and every sermon in the entire book of Acts from the time Jesus rose from the dead focused on his resurrection. So it's a really big deal. The resurrection of Jesus is the hinge the entire New Testament swings on. So, just put your imagination on with me for a minute this morning. Can you imagine how different the story would be if Jesus never came back from the dead? Think about it for a minute. What a sad end to Jesus' life if all we have is a crucifixion. Can you imagine after following Jesus for three years, seeing the miracles, hearing the teaching, that Jesus would be falsely accused and tortured and then crucified to death, He's wrapped in clothes and oils, and he's left there. The stones rolled over the tomb. Soldiers are stationed at the mouth of the grave, and that's it. How would we explain that? What would would be our takeaway? What would we make of it? What would we tell other people? What would we say? Yes, but he lived a better life than anybody else. What would we say? Can you imagine Jesus' followers, how few there would be left coming and visiting the tomb? Weeks would go by, and months would go by, and years would go by, and their numbers would dwindle every year, and they would come and place flowers by the grave, and they they, they would stand there for a moment of silence, and they would remember Him. What a silly disillusion. Can you imagine? Without the resurrection, who would even believe the cross? Who would believe it? Who would believe its power? Who would believe why it mattered? Let me tell you how critical the resurrection of Jesus is. If you don't believe it, you can't be a Christian. Did you know that? If you don't believe it, you... Look, there... I I hear so many things in the church world today, in the Christian world today, all over the earth. All kind of doctrines and theology and... Uh, Things about salvation, things about faith, things about the Bible. So many things are called into question all over the world and are in debate. Can I tell you one thing that's not in debate in the Christian world anywhere that I know of? There are no Christians who have serious doubts about Jesus' resurrection. I haven't heard it debated anywhere. I haven't read anything in writing about it anywhere. Nobody doubts that. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. God put inside our salvation experience a belief in His resurrection. It's that critical. And the reason it's so critical is because resurrection is not an event. Resurrection is a person. That's why we don't just celebrate it one time a year. That's why we ought not to mention it just on Easter and say, Yay, Easter! It's a life. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus is talking and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. We tend to spend more time talking about the cross and to be honest with you, emotionally, I feel better every Easter. I mean, that dark, looming time when we're, the cross is blacked out and it's dark and Jesus is dead and we're supposed to go through all those emotions. I don't like any of that. I like when we come on Sunday and we go, yay, he's back. Makes me feel better he's not in the grave anymore. I mean, when I see those passion plays and Jesus is crucified, all that, don't look straight at it. It's terrible. And then the stones rolled away and everybody's standing at their feet and clapping and going, yay, Jesus is alive. I think we all unconsciously at least... Feel better to know that Jesus isn't in the grave anymore and he's better. But most of us don't know why or how that impacts our life. If I were to ask you this morning, why does the resurrection matter? What what would you say? What what answer would you be able to give? Romans 4.25, let's look at that together this morning. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life. For our justification. Now that's an interesting verse. Pastor Bill Johnson says, The cross was for our old life and the resurrection is for our new life. Now I don't think it's not quite that simple. It's not quite that clean. You can't separate the death and resurrection of Jesus from one another like that. Without death there can be no resurrection. And without resurrection, what does Jesus' death mean? You can't have one without the other. They do work together. But since we spend most of our time focusing on the cross, I wanted to spend some time focusing on the resurrection. So why does the resurrection matter this morning? I just want to give you one reason. The resurrection matters because it changes our identity. It changed. changed, Think about the change Jesus went through. He doesn't walk through walls... (laughs) He he doesn't zap in and out. He dies. He comes back from the dead. And then he walks through walls. He appears in rooms. He shows up in places. He's been beamed down by the Starship Enterprise. And then he's evaporated away. And he shows up again. But he's still got the scars. You can still see the wounds. He still eats. Something incredible has changed. He's the resurrection Romans 4.25 uses an interesting word that we don't really use much in English. I could give you a few ways we use it, but it's the word justification. It says, and he was raised to life for our justification. The Bible says he was raised, he was resurrected, he came back from the dead For our resurrection now another word for that might be righteousness when you read the Bible and you read the word righteous or righteousness justification to justify a lot of those words are really the same. What righteousness means is is that you're in right standing with God. There's nothing wrong between you and God. So that's what happens in our identity when we surrender our lives to Jesus our identity changes and we have become justified we have become declared righteous before God now that that might sound like uh, you know uh, souped up doctrine in theology why does that matter let me tell you why that matters I, I have a friend who travels a lot and he wanted to give our family a gift once so he transferred some of his rewards that he had earned from his you know traveling and hotel and air miles and all that he transferred some of those rewards to us. And so uh, we got a lot of free stuff, and we got a discount on everything that we didn't get free. So on the hotel, on the parking, on the extra services at the hotel, this phenomenal breakfast buffet that we went down to every morning that was gourmet food and all this incredible things that we got to eat. And everywhere we went, the people who were serving us would call us by his name. And we'd say, no, 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 that's not no, we're not him, and then it would start over at lunch, and then it would start over when we got the car, and it would start over at the room, and it would start over. And so finally they called me by his name, and I said, yes, ma'am. What what does it matter? I'm not going to work this out. It really doesn't matter. So we're sitting one morning at this glorious buffet in this beautiful hotel, and the ticket came. And we made a decision right there. It was more fun to be him than it was to be us. Now, if you grab that, can I just tell you this morning, there's coming a day in our life when God will call your ticket. And you will stand before Him, and on that day, it'll be more fun to be Jesus than it will be to be you. That's what justification is. Jesus has died, and He rose from the dead, and He handed you His identity. You have His identity before the Father. Some people say justification is just like my sin never happened. Oh, no, no, I think it's more than that. If it's just like your sin never happened, that washes away the past. What about the future? You got back to zero, but but surely you're going to mess it up again. Let me give you another way to say it. It's just like you've already completed a perfect life. That's what it's like, because that's what Jesus did, and that's what God sees when he looks at you. He sees Jesus' completed, perfect life when he looks at you. Jesus gave us his standing with God. If you want to write a thought down, I don't really have points, I just have thoughts. If you want to write a thought down this morning, I'll say it to you like this. Here's what justification is. God subtracted what you did and added what Jesus did. That's pretty good math, isn't it? God subtracted what you did and added what Jesus did. Now, justification is the moment that God pronounces that you have a new identity. It's not the moment of salvation. It's the moment that God says, I pronounce you justified. I pronounce you righteous. I declare that you have been clothed in Jesus' perfect, sinless life, sacrificial death, and powerful resurrection. That's what what justification means. So, in a few minutes, when we come and celebrate water baptism, what we're celebrating is not perfect people. None of us are perfect. What we're celebrating are people who have been clothed in perfection. What we're celebrating is people who have been given the identity of Jesus, who have transferred from death to life. So, if you're going to be baptized this morning, I want to ask you, if you'll go ahead and, and move now, you can go out the back door, out this way, and come, come right backstage to this door. Our staff will meet you there. And in a few minutes, we're going to celebrate water baptism with you. So, justification is the moment that God pronounces you have a new identity. This is kind of like, uh, I know, if not everyone, almost everyone's attended a wedding in your life. This is like when you attend a wedding when the pastor says, I now pronounce you husband and wife. What is he saying? What he's saying is your identity has changed. You are no longer individual and individual. You are no longer John and you're no longer Mary. You are now husband and wife. Your status has changed so significantly that the only way we know how to recognize it is to change your title. Is to call you by something differently. And this is what happens when God justifies us. This is God's pronouncement over our life after we become Christians. You have a status change that's so profound, you can't even be called the same thing anymore. When you, were, when you and I were separated from God, we were called sinners, now we're called saints. Saints. When we were separated from God, we were called lost, now we're called found. We were called separated, now we're called reconciled. We were called wicked, now we're called righteous. Hang on just a minute, I'm going to tell you why all this matters. Now you might ask, here's the question, if I am righteous, if I am saint, if I am reconciled, if I am found, if I am clothed in the perfection of Jesus, why do I struggle so much? Why do I sin? Why do I mess up? Why do I do things I don't want to do? Why do I fail? Why, 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 do, why am I struggling like that if what you're saying is true? And what do I do about it? Justification means God has pronounced that our identity has changed, but our behavior may not have yet. Now follow me. Our identity has changed, But our behavior might not have yet... You know what I've learned? That our emotions reveal a lot about our theology. Our emotions take their cues from our beliefs. We feel the way that we have been trained to feel in some ways. That's not always true. It has exceptions. But generally what we believe to be true dictates how we feel about a moment. Our perception. So... We begin to live the Christian life and we do something wrong or we neglect to do something right and what do we feel? We feel guilt and we feel shame. And why do we feel that? We feel that because we're having trouble unpacking our new identity. We're having trouble coming to terms that we've had a status change with God and we're not the old person anymore. And that transfer doesn't take a second, it takes some time. So so what do we feel? We feel guilt, and we feel shame, and we feel rejection, and we feel condemnation. But I just want you to know something. None of those things are part of the life of the believer, of the person. When God says you are justified, you are in right standing with Him, then guilt and shame and condemnation are not part of that experience. So what does my new identity say about that? I don't base my standing with God based on what I do right and what I do wrong. I base it on what He did and His resurrection and power over all those things. Now, now, now hang with me. So how does that look? Here's how it looks. When I do right things, I don't feel closer to God. When I do wrong things, I don't feel further from God. Why? Because I'm my closest to God isn't based on my performance. It's based on his death and his resurrection and his pronouncement over my life that I am justified. Remember, I only gave you two categories, either sinner or saint. There's not saint in training. There's not assistant saint. Sinner or saint. That's that's the two choices we've got. So now I base my life on what Jesus did and on what he gave me. What did he give me? His identity. So let me give you some examples. The, the devil comes in to tempt you, to frustrate you, to discourage you, to sow lies inside your mind and attack your life. And, and, then, and then what is your answer to that? Your answer to that is, no, I'm not going to give in to that. And that's not true because I have the identity of Jesus Christ in my life. I, Jesus said, don't be afraid of the world because I've overcome the world. That's my identity. I'm an overcomer. When you come to God the Father and, and you say, I don't know, I don't know. You know, I don't know if I'm worthy. You have no idea how many people walk into a church on a Sunday who maybe have been there before or haven't been there. There are people that come every week that battle with it and there are people who had not been for years walking and they just don't feel worthy to even be in the room. Where does that come from? Mistaken identity. We don't understand our place in our relationship with God we don't understand what Jesus did for us so what does the Bible tell us about that identity how do we come to God he says boldly enter the throne room of grace because it's our identity when you sin and when you fail and when you're afraid what do you do where sin abounds grace abounds more because I have Jesus' identity When voices of shame and guilt and condemnation flood over you, what do you remind yourself? I have been justified. I am in right standing with God. There is now no condemnation of those that are in Christ Jesus. It's an identity issue, and, and you can tell it. It's easy to agree with when we're sitting in the room here, but on Monday morning and Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday night when you're out there fighting the fight and living the life and struggling and working your marriage out and working your relationships out and working the relationships out with your coworkers and working your own emotions out and your own self-worth and your own value, that's where all that stuff gets mixed up. What we've got to get clear is that we're not righteous because we follow the rules. We have the power to follow the rules because we are righteous. It's a whole different deal. And we have to unpack that. And as a Christian who's been justified, how should I feel when I sin? Now, I'm just telling you, some of you are not going to agree with this. And some of you, I'm going to stretch you when I say this. But I'm going to say it anyway. (laughs) I'm going to say it. Because I believe it to be true. How do I feel as a Christian when I sin? Do When I neglect something that I should do, do I feel shame? Do I feel rejection? Do I feel panic or do I feel guilt? No. Let me tell you one thing I feel. I feel love. You feel love when you sin? Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Because I look at that sin and I say, if this doesn't separate me from God, then surely he must love me. What do you feel when you sin? Watch this. I feel security. I feel security. If this doesn't separate me from God, then surely I am secure in his hand. Here's something else I feel. Caution. Caution. Because of my identity and my relationship with God, I feel conviction, not guilt, not shame, not rejection, conviction. Conviction is a whole different thing than any of those. I feel conviction and caution and a warning like the fuel light has gone on on the dashboard and it is blinking red and it is saying to me, you are going the wrong way. Turn around. If you don't turn around, you are going to hurt something. You are going to hurt yourself. You are going to hurt others other people. Bad things are going to happen if you keep going this way. This needs your immediate attention. If you don't address this, you're going to miss out on God's best. That's what I feel when I sin. And I can tell you this, I've sinned a lot less when I was focused on God's grace than when I was focused on my guilt. You try to focus on a sin long enough that you won't do it. I guarantee you'll keep doing it. I'm not gonna be an alcoholic, I'm not gonna be an alcoholic, I'm not gonna be an alcoholic, I'm not gonna be I'll tell you what you're gonna be, you're gonna be an alcoholic. Because you're focused on the wrong thing, you're focused on the wrong identity. Focused on, focused on what he did right, not on what you did wrong. There is power and freedom in his grace, and there is failure and shame and bondage in my guilt. So I don't walk in condemnation. Because I, why? Because I have been justified. Either we believe that or we don't. We we believe that pronouncement works when we're not sinning. I got news for you, it works when you are. Or either, either, what is it? Your sin is greater than Jesus' death? No. So you've got a teacher who's teaching a classroom. And there's this one kid that's really obnoxious. Right? Right? And, and, and the kid's obnoxious, and the kid's stirred up and around. And the teacher pulls a chocolate candy bar out of the desk. You can imagine, it's like little chickens chasing a cricket. You know, wherever they go, they follow. And the teacher says, I'm going to give one kid in this entire room this candy bar. One kid. And they look around, and, and they go, "Oh, oh, it's probably going to be me. No, I was probably, I mean, I've sat here and, and I, I've done the right thing and I've obeyed and I've been quiet and I didn't break nothing and I followed the rules. And then there's this one kid, everybody looks at things, and whatever, I know who it's not going to be. It's not going to be him. And the teacher reaches over and hands the chocolate candy bar to the worst kid in the room. And the other kids say, That's not fair. And the teacher says, That's right. It's not fair. It has a different title. It's called Grace. And by the way, you and I were all the worst kid in the room. And here's what happened. From the minute the kid got the candy bar, the kid changed his behavior. Started acting better. Stopped breaking stuff. Because the kid got what the kid needed. He needed an identity change. You're not the worst kid in the room. You're not what they say about you. You're not what your parents said. You're not the rejection that's been sown into your soul. You are covered. Can I tell you that's the way it works in our life? There's nothing good that we did before we were Christians and there's nothing good that we've done after we're Christians that can affect our identity. You can't affect your identity. The Bible says our righteousness is filthy rags. But what is His? His is glorious. And there's nothing I can add to his finished work. And there's no way I can improve on what he's done. And there's no way I can earn it. And there's no way I can deserve it. And there's no way you can either. So why does the resurrection matter? We have an identity given to us by Jesus that is a resurrection identity. It's a death conquering identity. After all you've done, how can you come to church now? I'll tell you how. Because Jesus is alive. I, I mean, let's think. You haven't prayed in days, maybe even in weeks. Now you've in the jam and you're just going to use. How can you pray now? I can pray now because Jesus is alive. Resurrection gives me the access. I'm not coming because I've done it right. I mean, let's just make a line this morning of everybody who's done it right. Surely there'd be nobody in the line. After what you did, how can you expect God to love you now? Oh, I've met so many people who think this. So many people. How can God love me now? Because Jesus is alive and He makes things that should not be, be. This is like the end of a wedding. We talked about a wedding when the pastor pronounces. This is how the pronouncement works. I pronounce you husband and wife. And then the pastor says something interesting. He says, he looks at the husband and he says, you may kiss your bride. Why does he say that? The kiss is a public symbol that says the couple now behave, may behave differently. So later that night, the party's over, the decorations have put up, the couple drives away with little cans dragging behind their car and stuff. They can't get off the window sprayed on there. And it's a rental. Oh, Lord, help us. And they drive away, and they slip away to somewhere private, and they consummate their relationship. Now, now, why can they do that now, and they couldn't do that before? Because they have a new identity, the Bible says the two will become one, and you are one flesh. The identity has changed. Their behavior can change because their identity has changed. Let me give you a quote this morning you might want to write down. We spend the rest of our lives becoming what we are. Jesus says you are justified. Then why am I not perfect yet? Because you're still becoming what you are. You are justified. Then why do I keep failing? Because you're still becoming what you are. Do you want to know the secret of overcoming the struggles in your life? It's not trying harder, getting more determined, punishing yourself, living in fear, or empty promises. It's, been, it's in the understanding that you have been justified. God has done it. God has proclaimed it. God has announced it. He has pronounced it. Over your life and over mine. You have every right to live a godly, victorious, overcoming, joyful Christian life. You have every right Because that right has been purchased for you and handed to you through no effort of your own. Our only role is faith. It's to believe. To believe that it's true. Believe that he rose. Romans 10, 9. I believe that you died and you rose on the third day. And belief in his resurrection makes things that shouldn't be our. So I I want you just to repeat these with me. I wrote down a little list. And then our our musicians are, are coming and we'll do water baptism. Who are you in Christ? I want you to repeat these with me. I am loved. I am accepted. I'm a child of God. I'm Jesus' friend. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. I'm united with God. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm a member of Christ's body. This is going to be hard for some of you. I'm a saint. I am redeemed and forgiven. I am complete in Jesus Christ. I am free from condemnation. I am a new creation. I am chosen, holy, dearly loved. I am established. Anointed. Sealed. I do not have a spirit of fear. But love. Power. And a sound mind. I am God's co-worker. I am seated in heavenly places with Christ. I have direct access to God. I am chosen to bear fruit. Last one. I am am justified. See, here's the truth. You shouldn't be any of these things. But you are because you've been justified this morning. As we go to water baptism, I want to read one verse to you that has everything to me, it has everything to do with this series that we're on. I just wanted you to repeat those things this morning because I wanted to wash out of your system every other thing that anybody's ever told you or you've ever told you about yourself that isn't true. I wanted you to feel the identity of Jesus. Romans 6, 4 says, We were therefore buried with Him through baptism. We were buried with Him through baptism into death. Why would we be buried with Him in baptism to death? Why does that symbol matter? Just as Christ raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may live a new life. So this morning as we baptize these that are coming, what we're saying is is they've been buried with Christ and they have been raised in resurrection power to walk a brand new life. I don't know anything more exciting than that right there. So when these guys come and are baptized in water this morning, man, I want you just to celebrate like it's Easter Sunday morning. Because for them, it is.